Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, just how good you are to us, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless this gathering. Holy Spirit, would you just make these truths real to our hearts tonight, God? Not only in this room and through Facebook, but far beyond, O oh God. Uh, would you honor the preaching of your word? Lord, help me because I'm just a mere person. So, Holy Spirit, would you make these words alive to us? And would you allow them to strengthen us in our walk with God tonight? I pray that everyone hearing these words would uh, experience the strengthening and the challenging and the upbuilding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, Colossians 4, 12 and 13. We're just going to do two verses tonight, and uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a background, then read the verses, and then just highlight a few points, because there's so much rich content in the Bible related to prayer. We're obviously called to be a prayer ministry, and uh, so often prayer people, prayer warriors, get, we get burnt out. We're like, we've been praying and praying, and, and what's it doing? And the Holy Spirit says, go back to the Word and get fueled. And one of the ways we go back to the Word and get fueled is we just look at the verses that highlight prayer. And they are all over the Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation, but I love this particular little two verses because it just has so much packed into it. And I've never heard anyone preach on it until I found it one day and started preaching on it. This is a couple of years ago. And so it's kind of special to me in that regard is, you know, I, I have almost never, I don't think I've ever heard someone talk about this guy, Epaphras, and, and then I found it one day. I'm like, how have I never seen that? And so those are my most fun messages is, is when like you hear of something that you're like, I have never heard that in my life, even though I've heard preaching for years and years and I've read the Bible many times and I keep reading it, but there's just new stuff the Lord seems to put in that we never saw. So I'm calling this message, I'm titling it Epaphras the Intercessor. Epaphras the Intercessor. And so let's go right to the end of Colossians. He's, Paul's closing his letter to the church in Coloss. And he's saying, hey, this guy says hello, and this guy says hello, kind of like you're leaving your extended family for vacation, and, oh, say hi to your dad for us, or something like that. So that's kind of what they do in the letters. And Paul here in verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, which means he's a part of the church there in Coloss. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. And then he then he writes this about uh, he writes this about Epaphras. I got to turn this thing down. I'm going to interrupt myself. <laughs> he says, Epaphras greets you. He's a bondservant of Christ. He's really dedicated to the Lord, and he's always. That word always really provokes me. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. 
Friends, I don't know how many words that is that's always laboring fervently for you in per seven words that could be seven books, just, just those. Paul says, I want you to know there's a man that, that's among you. He's, he's part of your church that I'm spending some time with. Side note, the more you go into prayer, the more you find yourself connected to people like Paul. It's interesting. The intercessors kind of end up in relationship with these kinds of people because they're mighty in spirit. And so Paul's like, I ended up hanging out with this Epaphras guy. He's from the church in Coloss. I don't think it's any accident that they got connected. He says, I want you to know this is a true intercessor. And I'm going to break down some of the reasons why it's important Paul said that. But this is, this is important to note. That the Holy Spirit told Paul, of course we believe Scripture is inerrant. There are no errors, Genesis to Revelation. There's errors in how we interpret it. But what the Holy Spirit means by it, that is inerrant stuff. So the Holy Spirit saying, highlight this man, Paul. He is not just occasionally... Always, always laboring fervently, not just asking for more money, more comfort, thanks for himself. He's laboring in prayer for the regional church in Coloss. He's a true intercessor. It's so important that we find these people throughout Scripture because in this day and age, it's so unusual for, for someone to be like, I'm an intercessor. What's an intercessor? What, what's that? I mean, I get pastor, I get youth pastor, I get children's pastor. By the way, youth pastor and children's pastor aren't in the Bible, but, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just commentary. They're very valid, obviously. Apostles in the Bible, evangelist, teacher, intercessor, what is that? Intercessor is not a word in the Bible, but it's a word that describes many of the people in the Bible. Just like the word Trinity. You're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, but it's, a, it's an apt word to describe the nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of terms we use. They're not actual words you'll find in the Bible, but, but they're great terms. The word intercede is certainly in the Bible. Uh, but the term or the office or the idea of intercessor, that's something that we have... Uh, just kind of used to describe someone like this, Epaphras. Let me finish this verse here because I haven't even finished the two verses. So he's always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So we get insight into his prayer life. What's this fiery, devoted intercessor that Paul is even taken back by? What's he praying? He's praying that the church would be mature in the will of God. So not like, Lord, I constantly pray that the church would be wealthy and healthy, although it's great to have money and good health. But what he's locked into is, the, is kind of the overarching high goal of Christ, which is that the church would be fully mature in love before he returns again. That's really the ultimate goal, that we would be locked into his highest will for us and we would be maturing to a point of where he says we're equally yoked. You have reached a, a station of maturity where I, I want to return for her, that bride. 
that people. And so he's not like, you know, just kind of whimsically praying, you know, I hope it gets easier and more fun. I mean, that's, I love those prayers and I pray them and my kids pray them, you know, but, but we don't just pray that. We also have to be mindful of where's the Lord taking his church. And that is to a place of deep spiritual maturity so that we as the global church are a provocative witness where others say, I really want to be on that team. I really want to know Jesus, even if it's dangerous. That was the first century church. And he's going to bring the whole global church full circle to the point where we are so provocative, Jews and Gentiles, even of great hostility, Say, I want to be among the saved. I want to know Christ. I want to be in. I want to be in God's family. And so this is going to happen. And it's going to happen because people like Epaphras devote their lives to the calling and ministry that God has has given them. Now, the calling of intercessor is not the only calling or the ultimate calling, but it is a valid calling. And so I I want to highlight that tonight, that the calling to intercession is something the Holy Spirit's doing. And I firmly believe we're going to see a whole house full of them in due time. But we have to, I I as a leader and as a prayer guy, I have to give language because there's people out there, they love going to prayer meetings. They love prayer, but they just don't know how that fits into the current structure. And until someone tells them and in essence kind of gives them permission, although they don't need it, they, they'll always kind of feel bad that they're not like that person who's a pastor or that guy who's evangelistic. They'll always just kind of feel like, I don't really fit. And the Lord says, no, I'm raising up people like Epaphras. I'm raising up people like Anna, who is the, the female equivalent that we'll look at another time. I've preached on her so many times. But there's many people throughout Scripture that gave themselves almost entirely to prayer, and that was their ministry, and that was enough. It's not like Paul said, hey guys, there's this guy named Epaphras that prays a lot. I want you to correct him and tell him to do the real work. (laughs) No, Paul is saying, this guy is legit, period. This guy is, is moving the needle, and he's provoking people and provoking maturity. So he's praying that you guys would be perfect and complete in all the will of God. In verse 13, he says, I bear witness of this. I, I vouch for this guy. Depending on what translation you use, I, I testify, I bear witness, I vouch that he is really zealous. He's, he has a real concern for you guys that you would be spiritually mature. He is, in our language, he is on fire for God. He is passionate and he cares. This is, uh, this is something that, is, that Paul lamented, that um, he lamented over the fact that there were so few who had a genuine care for the church. Everybody cares for themselves, but to really care enough to pray fervently, daily, nightly for the church is another order. And Paul recognized that. It's just not usual to like do this. And so Paul's like, pay attention. He's the real deal here. And and I believe the spirit is going to 
begin to raise up in every city, in every community, in every place, men and women who are of this spirit, who just care that much that they'll pray and they'll keep praying until the whole church not just has revival or good meetings that are fun, but a a people who are spiritually deep, who are mature, who love God, who love the word, who love prayer, who resist sinful things, and who just live it. You know, right now, much of the church is just kind of wishy-washy on so much of the important stuff. These intercessors are going to play a role in really doing some damage against the enemy and sowing some good things for the uh, for the Lord, and we're going to see a beautiful, uh, like a beautiful garden uh, arise. The church is going to be fruitful. And there's going to be harvest, and this is such a huge part of it. So he has a zeal for you. It says he has a, a zeal for those in Laodicea, who we see show up in the Book of Revelation. They. Uh, they were reproved by the Lord for being lukewarm. He was contending for them. He was contending for the people in Hierapolis. So this man, he's praying for different regions of churches. And so it's just so good to see that in the scriptures. Let me just read it straight through one more time. Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, I don't know if you could say more about a person in two sentences which is what I love about God's word. Jesus says one statement, and you could just camp out there for hours just marveling, like, oh my goodness. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's weighty. I got to think about that. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, that's so wise. Who comes up with this stuff? (laughs) I mean, just one, two lines, two verses. There's so much depth. Let me just share a, a a couple things I just want to highlight, although we could spend much more time, but first thing I want to point out that is very important is this word labor. I like the word always. I like the word fervently. I like the word prayers. I'm going to highlight the word labor. He's always laboring. Here's the thing that I want to get across tonight. Prayer is labor. This is one of the most misunderstood points in the body of Christ. Prayer isn't something we do so that labor is more effective. Prayer is the labor. Prayer isn't something we do before the work. (laughs) It is the work. It's not the only work. It's not superior work. It's so important to make this connection that it is valid kingdom work. So many people will look at prayer and go, oh, that's nice, but we got to do the event. That's great that you got, but, but what are you really doing? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I mean, it's, it just can't, can't count how many times people will literally say things like that to me. And I go, guys, I'm not trying to get my cues from what culture thinks is great or even the church thinks is great. I'm looking at Scripture, and I'm seeing what God validates from Genesis to Revelation, and what He says is work and labor 
is prayer. It's not the only thing we do. I concede that point. No one believes that prayer is the only thing we're supposed to do. I've never heard someone make a definitive statement, all we're supposed to do is pray. Never heard that. But what what happens is when someone steps up to pray, what others consider to be a little more than maybe someone else, you start to hear these things. Well, we can't just only pray. No one's doing that. We're just praying a little more because God told us to. We're not even thinking about you. But yeah, all you guys are doing are praying. No, we're doing other things besides prayer. We're loving our neighbors. We're doing outreaches. We're doing all, all kinds of things as the Spirit enables us and resources are, are permitting us. But, but we've stepped up in prayer a little bit. And we need everybody to know, and God wants everybody to know, that prayer is labor. It is work. It's a spiritual work that, that uh, opens doors, unlocks things. It does things that just, it, it frees things up that just wouldn't happen if prayer didn't happen. And so that's, that's, it's so important to understand that when you come here on a Friday night or a Monday night or, a, you know, when we have mornings going again on a Tuesday morning, that is a labor, that is a work, and there's actually a toll. There's a toll when we do the heavy lifting of prayer. It, it, there's a spiritual weariness that is kind of like when you work outside all day. And you, like I used to do roofing for a summer, and that, that's physical work. I mean, no one's going to argue that. But it's like in a spiritual way, intercessory prayer where we contend for the devil to be bound and Jesus to have his way. There is a spiritual reality to that that has its own weariness that is it's unusual and to describe. But many intercessors, you just wonder, where'd they go? Well, it's, it's hard work. It really is. Praying regularly for year after year after year, there's a spiritual toll that it, that it does to you. And so you just have to find your strength in knowing God loves you even when you're weak. you got to go see it again in Scripture to kind of reorient. Oh, yeah, that's what God's after. But it's very easy to lose sight. And so part of this is convincing myself, keep going, and convincing other intercessors. You may feel weak and weary because that's what prayer is supposed to produce in us is a sense of weakness and dependency on God. But our prayers matter. They're powerful, That James said. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We gotta we gotta know that even when we don't feel strong. So number one, remember, prayer is labor. It is kingdom work. If you go over to Luke, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. Luke, I believe it's Luke two, it's the story of Anna. I'm just gonna touch on her very quickly. Um it says here in Luke 2 and 27, you know, uh, she did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. Interesting. The Bible says that praying and fasting in a temple is actual service to God. You know, when you, when you meet someone today and they say, well, what do you do? Well, well may, let me make it a little more personal. Anna, so you're telling us you just stay in the temple and you just fast and pray? That's what you do. Yeah, that's what I do. 
well, what about like the real service? Anna would say, this is service. So there's a, there's, a, there's a mentality shift that needs to happen in much of the body of Christ where we see someone who is given to prayer, who has devoted themselves to prayer, who has uh, said, I'm going to try to pray continually and stay in that place. We need to honor them as someone who is serving God, who is laboring, who is working, that that's valid. You know, there's that well-known prayer where it says, Pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. And what we're thinking is people who will come help me do the work I need to do. And what God's thinking is a whole bunch of intercessors doing the heavy lifting. When we say, Lord, raise up laborers, many of them are are like old ladies praying at home and young men in their dorm praying for their college. And, And they may never be connected in the way we're thinking, but... So when we're praying, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. Yes, some will be preachers. Some will be administrators. Some will do run this, the drive thing, you know. Others are going to do this and that. But many are going to be locked into prayer as their primary expression of service and work. And that needs to be celebrated. Which brings me to point number two. Is that I believe it's very significant that Paul highlighted this man and affirmed him and commended him. This is very significant because, again, he's Paul. He's the apostle. In many respects, what he says goes. He has a ton of revelatory understanding. He's, he's, the, he's truly, I mean, this is literal, he's the greatest theologian in the world at that day. The, the most significant theologian alive in this moment. Like literally number one. I mean, it's just how do you even compute that? And I, I would call him the most significant theologian in church history. So greatest in the world, greatest in church history, aside from the Lord, obviously. Because Jesus could talk circles around Paul like he was a little kid. I mean, Jesus knew way more. But Paul, you know, not the Lord. He is, he is affirming and commending, not correcting and condemning, an intercessor. That's strange. Because today, Paul, when we meet a weird prayer warrior, we tell him to get with it. Paul's like, no, no, no. See, here's how it works. When someone is called to be an intercessor, that's a special calling. We we affirm that. We commend that. Let me say it different. The, the apostolic perspective of an intercessor is that they are critical. The Pauline or the apostolic viewpoint of an intercessor, or another way to say that is the biblical viewpoint of someone like this, is that they are to be celebrated and commended. Not like, whoa, you're the weird intercessor. See, and, I, and, I, and I, I've heard this for 20 years. Many leaders in the body of Christ don't know what to do with the prayer group in their church. They feel intimidated by them because they feel like, well, you're praying and you're trying to take over my ministry and I don't really have a very good prayer life and so I'm intimidated by you because you're making me feel like I should be more spiritual. And, and, and the two groups just have not meshed well traditionally. 
And, and I believe that is truly of the enemy. I believe that intercessory team in the church and the pastor, if they really linked up, if the pastors would be more humble, and if the intercessors would be more humble, because intercessors can get really proud as well, there would be such a profound dynamic. And um, let me try to explain this a little better. Not every place is going to be like GP Hop, where we just, just do intercession, prayer every night. But I believe that in every church, there's to be an expression of prayer. And I think that it's a blessing to have people in your church that will come up to a pastor and say, hey, I feel called to just keep you in prayer. How, you know, can you, what? And so there's just, those people exist in every church, and it's the job of a leader to say, let's give you a platform, let's help you flourish, get a team going, let's do it on Tuesday nights. Or, but, but there's not supposed to be this real friction that exists a lot of times, and I've seen that. And, and it's like they're just, you know, hey, we're trying to do this, and you're this prayer thing, you don't belong here. No, it, it, it really, I don't want to say it like I know everything and, and be mean about it, but it really does demonstrate when leaders kind of view the intercessor that way, it's they demonstrate they don't have any insight really because the, the leaders in the Bible valued that. They not only lived it themselves because every leader and prophet in the Bible had very deep prayer lives. They were very committed to it. In fact, Paul often began his letter saying, we've been praying for you guys night and day, never stopping. And then he'd write his letter. So the, the apostles, they had regular prayer times. The prophets were intercessors. Today, prayer is something that we should do. That's the extent of it mostly. It's not something that is mostly done. It's something viewed as we should do. And because it's pretty much in that camp, we look at people who are doing it as a threat instead of, wow, you're, you're provoking me. I, I need more of that. Let's work together. And uh, so Paul would say, hey, guys, take it from me. I was under the inspiration of the Spirit. This is biblical. Paul says, affirm them. When someone rises up and says, I'm going to be committed to praying for the region, I'm going to give my life to it, let, let people know this is legit. And don't treat them like they're weird or uh, you know, don't, don't, don't try to put them in the closet. Give them a platform. What ultimately happens is these people provoke the church to maturity and when the church gets provoked to maturity a lot of things change and that's ultimately what a what what a many leaders fear is dramatic change like like a seminal change like like this everything here would change if this actually happened and that's actually where the lord's leading the church is into radical change and so to be on the forefront of that we intercede and we call people because here's the thing, guys, if the church is on fire like Epaphras is and the church begins to move into this maturity, so much stuff it, it, we don't need. I'm not even going to say anything because I don't want to be. There's just so many things that we use to get people in because we're desperate for numbers. It will just we'll never need anymore. 
Because a church that is mature and genuine and sincere and really living it is an automatic witness. People want to be around the genuine, the real. No one wants to be around the fake, you can tell. Like, I don't want fake money. I don't want to be around the fake. I want the real and the genuine. And when we just are that, it attracts people. We don't even have to invite people. They just come. Not, not that it's wrong to invite people. I mean, we, let's, let's keep doing that. Peg, you're doing great. <laughs> keep, keep inviting. But it's just, you get my drift. You get what I'm saying. When we're the real deal, people know. And they just say, I want to be there. I want to, I want to check that out. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill would famously say, you don't advertise a fire. If the church is just blazing with devotion, no one's like, hey guys, come on. People just see it. They're like, I want to check that out. It's kind of like, this is kind of a, the worse analogy, but it's like the car wreck. It's like people driving by the car wreck, you know, almost getting in car wrecks, looking at it. You just, you don't have to advertise a car wreck. People just stare at it. When we're, beginning to touch what Epaphras is praying. We begin to, as a citywide church, enter into this stuff. Churches don't have attendance problems anymore. So much stuff changes. We need to affirm this. Again, Epaphras, this is point number three, Epaphras prayed for three different regions, three different cities. Excuse me. He prayed for his home City. I mean, again, he didn't go to the First Baptist Church of Colossus. When he's praying for the Colossians, he's just praying for all the believers there. There's just one denomination at this point. Maybe a couple. Now there's 10,000. He's just, the people who believe and follow Jesus, that's who he's praying for. There's just one church in that city. And guess what? There's one church in this city. It's the people who love Jesus. Now we go to 500 different churches and denominations, but when God looks down, he says there's just, one church that I love in this city. Some call themselves Baptists. Some call themselves Presbyterians. Some say I'm assemblies. Some say this or that. And there's 500 flavors in the city. But the Lord says, I just, they're my people. I love them and they love me. And so here's the thing. When you begin to pray just over the church in central Illinois, what happens in our mind is that all the barriers that exist, well, well, that person's this and that person's that. Can we really pray for them? Are they even... All those barriers just break down. I encourage you when you pray, pray for individuals, pray for families, pray for denominations. But much of the Bible is... is um, I don't use this in the negative sense, the divided. The Bible delineates, is a better word, the Bible delineates most often in regions of believers, not mostly like the First Baptist Church of Paul or the Third Assembly. You know, they just didn't exist back then. And so Epaphras is locked in. He's praying for the equivalent would be uh, his burden was for the church in Peoria, the church in East Peoria, and the church in West Peoria. That's essentially, he was locked in. These are cities that were close to one another. And, uh, and so he's just, that's my burden. I'm, I'm praying, God, make them mature. God, I pray that they would grow up into all things, into Christ, as it says. Well, to us, it says it in Ephesians 4. But like Paul said to the Ephesians, I, you know, I pray that we would be mature in the will of God. And so that's, that's important to note. All the letters were written to cities. Not to 
Protestants or Catholics or Reformed or this or that. The letters were written to cities, cities full of believers. When Paul wrote a letter, he said to the, to the Christians in Rome, to the Christians in Coloss, to the Christians in Ephesus. And so that reveals God's heart is for the people in cities. That's why I pray often for central Illinois, often for Illinois, for the Midwest, for America, because God's heart is in regions. It's not just that he wants to move at that church down the road or that ministry over there. No, he's wanting to move on a, you know, on a, on a more, uh, uh, not, not on a granular level, but on a larger level is what I'm trying to say. And of course, someone would challenge me and say, so we're not supposed to pray for this. No, pray for the whole thing. But, but the Spirit is highlighting this, this kind of larger scope because we so easily miss it. Often when we pray, the ceiling is my church. And so many people get stuck there like, that's the biggest thing God could do. You know, I pray for me, pray for my family, pray for my church. Because revival is only going to happen here. And the Lord's like, no, no, take that lid off. Pray for the whole church to have revival. Pray for all the believers in Coloss. And so, again, Paul's affirming this man because he knows he gets it. This isn't just about uh, Epaphras' family or, you know, a little clan on the side. This is about the whole region, God moving there. You know, if you just flip a few pages to your left into Ephesians 4, this is the kind of the apostolic manifesto. Paul basically lays out in a few verses from verse, I would say, verse 12 or 13 to 16. He pretty much gives real good language for where the church is headed. And he says, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to come into unity and we're going to know the Son of God, and we're going to be, uh, we're going to come into this mature man. Like the church is going to be like a mature man, unified, knowing Jesus. We're not going to be, as it says in verse fourteen, like children tossed around by every little doctrine that comes our way. We're going to be uh, not carried away by all, all these trick doctrines and deceptions. No, we're going to be speaking the truth. We're going to. We're going to know the truth and we're going to grow up into what? Into Him, the head, Christ. We're going to grow up and be like Jesus, our elder brother. It says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is significant. Every little joint and part and tendon of the body, Paul is writing, and that includes the intercessor. Every little person doing their part, we grow and we mature and we become like Christ. There's coming a day where worldwide the Christian church will be like Christ. We're not quite there yet. We've got a lot of room to grow. But there's coming a day where Canada, America, Mexico, all over Africa, Asia, Europe, scientists in Antarctica, Australia, if I'm forgetting a continent, forgive me, all over the world, 
there will be believers who are fully mature. Like, I just can't even get my mind on that. And they will be like what Jesus prophesied, like a city on a hill. They will be bright lights. And they will provoke people. They will even, as it says in Romans, they will provoke the nation of Israel to recommit to God. But this time, Christ. And so there is something that's going to be on the people of God. And there's this intercessory component that Epaphras is showing us is the way forward. Let's go to point number four before I get too late here. I kind of already touched on it, so let me just retouch on it. Epaphras is praying essentially the Ephesians 4 apostolic manifesto. I just made that term up. That we would be a fully mature church that Jesus may have the preeminence. Guys, when the church is fervent and mature, people look at us and they say, Jesus is real. It's like that whole thing when um, it says... Uh, I'm going to botch the verse because I haven't even written it down, but, but they will know you're my disciples uh, by your love for one another, that verse. It's like when we're really loving one another, people say they're real. Jesus is real. I get it. I understand it now. But imagine all over the city, that's real. All over America, all over the world. That's where it's going. And Jesus' name is going to become famous because there's going to be a church that He's led so brilliantly. We've surrendered all. We've let Him mature us, whether through uh, difficulty or glory. He's just had His way. And in the millions and tens and hundreds of millions, some say billions of believers that will be on the earth before He comes back, will be such a bright witness. Man, woman, child will be so fervent that people will say, I want that. Just to bring this into conclusion, there was a man who was praying for that. There's going to be a whole lot of people praying for it in the days and years ahead. And it's my, I think my duty, my role, just to give voice. When you come in your, in your Bible reading, you come across Epaphras, just remember, and this is legit. Help me to be a prayer warrior like this. I might, I might not be some big name doing this or, you know, like a Reinhard Bonnke filling stadiums. Uh, he's, he's with the Lord now, but, uh, or like a Billy Graham. I might not be called to the big stage like that, but I can be Epaphras. Wherever I go, I can pray fervently for Jesus' church to be as, as mature and in the will of God as possible. And, uh, and so do that, my friends. Do that. Live that life of prayer. And when you're here, we will, we, will, uh, we will do that here as well. But it's not just, you know, come here and do it only. It's out there, you know, in your car and having your quiet time. Be a man or woman of intercession. Amen and amen. We made it. Just in time. One minute to spare there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, thank you. If you're still with us on Facebook, we're going to go ahead and close there and just do a brief time of prayer. I just want to encourage you as you uh, conclude this, just have a brief time of prayer. Say, Lord, mark me with this spirit of prayer. And uh, so let me just real quick, I'm going to pray for you guys and in the room, and then we'll, we'll get together and have a quick prayer time. So Lord, 
We thank you for this word about our brother Epaphras and how he, he so gave witness to the life of an intercessor. And Lord, we just simply ask, by the grace of God, make us like this man. We want to move in a spirit of prayer. We want to move into this place of intercession. We can't do it. We can't conjure it up. But would you do it in us, God? Would you help us? Help us, Holy Spirit, where we are weak, as it says in Romans 8. We're weak in prayer, but would you help us? Help us to be intercessors. And I pray all over central Illinois tonight, raise up intercessory laborers, hundreds and thousands, maybe even ten thousands of them, God, and set them on the wall, God. Ignite them in every single church that names the name of Jesus and loves the Son of God. Lord, set them in a place of prayer in every congregation and ministry and local church, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Once again, bless you guys. And uh, we're going to have a brief prayer time right here. Yes.